You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again. I had the mute button pushed. Welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Yeah, I could have gone back and redone it, but it's nice to kind of mix it up once in a while, even if the mix-up or if the, you know, the change-up is me just being stupid. You like it? The new thing? Well, maybe we'll stick with that. Do the intro with the mute button on. Um... So now that we're getting into sort of Friday, Saturday, Sunday, this is kind of let's talk Vikings territory. I know we've talked a decent amount about the Vikings, but it's mostly been off-season theoretical. I want to focus on this week, Green Bay Packers, Minnesota Vikings, and kind of hit it from a couple different angles. We don't have as much information. Usually when I do this, it's based on what we've seen this year. I don't know because we haven't seen anything this year. So I'm going to lean pretty heavily on last year, and I know some people are not going to hear me say this. All they're going to hear is me giving reasons based on last year, and they're going to come back and say, well, that was last year, stupid, it doesn't count. Already acknowledge that. Just giving you the best available information. That's all I got. I'm so sorry that I don't have um, vision into the future. Before we get there, though, uh, Packers, not training camp, but practice once again. Got to get my terminology right now that we're shifting into a new era. But um, really, really positive medical developments here. Um, Yesterday, I kind of asked for some help from doctors if there are any. I had two people reach out, so I'm just currently uh, talking to them right now. Got some great news from from David. But before we get there, the very first question to Matt LaFleur was about uh, Elton Jenkins as well as David Bakhtiari. Do you think they're going to be doing any teamwork? The quote from Matt LaFleur was, that's the hope that they'll be doing team again, or I think he said more team, which is to imply that they've done it in the past, which would kind of lead us into believing that um, maybe they're going to be okay and ready to go. Actually, you know what? I'm going to, mm, no, I'm going to wait because I did ask David if he wants to be on the podcast. Maybe we can get him on this one. I don't know. I'll, I'll wait to see what he says. Asked about Alan Lazard. Do you think he'll be able to do any more? He said, we'll see when we get out there. It's kind of funny because you really get to understand the way things work by the way he answers some of these questions. I mean, in in my mind, the medical staff and the head coach, they get together and they kind of work stuff out and make some kind of determinant. The fact that Matt LaFleur is going to be shocked when he walks out to see who's out there for him is interesting to me. It's just not the way I would have expected it to go. Essentially, the medical staff has seemingly full authority to let guys play or not. It's kind of wild to me. Also really flies in the face of the picture that's painted by guys like Martellus and like Zadarius, 
that the team is pushing him to do something that he doesn't want to do. The team would have to be the medical staff. And for the medical staff to care more about the Packers winning football games than doing their job, which is to take care of the health of the players, that would be pretty crazy. Not not impossible, but it would certainly be pretty wild, especially when you have a team that is willing to be so hands-off as to say, you just let me know. Not saying he's not going to check up and be like, hey, what's going on? But that still is just not... The way he answers the questions just makes me go, wait, what? I don't know. What do you mean? You Like, you don't know. You're going to walk out in the field and not know if he's going to be out there? That's just weird to me. Anyways, officially, um, the only guys that were not seen practicing, Alan Lazard listed as an ankle injury, and Mercedes Lewis, presumably a rest day. So it's kind of just down to Lazard right now. Another interesting little practice note via Matt Schneidman. Working with the running backs during warm-ups, Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon, Patrick Taylor, Tyler Goodson, and Amari Rogers. You know, I'm kind of to the point now where I don't even want to, you know, smack this down anymore. There's a lot of people who are dead set on making this a thing. I think there's just a big part of me that just doesn't want to. We we did this whole song and dance with Ty Montgomery, and I don't want Amari to be Ty Montgomery because that didn't work. He was our guy that we wanted to be a wide receiver, but also kind of like a running back guy, but also kind of like a return guy. But then he wasn't really good at any of them, you know? I would prefer him to be a really good wide receiver that does some other cool stuff. And it just feels like it's not going that way. And everybody's real excited about it. Like, yeah, it's going to be great. We get him in the backfield and we do all these things. I don't know why we're excited about a wide receiver trying to be a running back. Why don't we just get a running back to be a running back? I mean, it's great if if you got a guy that's already a dominant wide receiver and a dominant kick returner or something. They do something really well and we're adding a wrinkle. It feels to me like a guy that here would be the most positive way to look at this. He's not going to get a lot of opportunities as a wide receiver. He's not. Matt, or again, Aaron Rodgers kind of left him out of the loop, and, and for good reason, because he's the backup slot guy. Not a lot of snaps for the backup slot guy. So why not kind of just give him some reps, because we're going to be utilizing him in that way occasionally. He'll be in the slot. He'll be in the backfield. He'll be out wide. He'll be all of these things. I'm just saying it makes me nervous. It feels like we're giving up, and I don't want to give up. I don't want to concede, well, I guess this was a bad idea. Let's see if he can do something in the backfield. So, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. I mean, I am excited about it. I like the the idea of having that versatility as a weapon, but, again, he has to still be a receiver first. You know, it's it's almost like, again, my my general disdain for mobile quarterbacks, not in general, but the the obsession with just running. It's like the, the running is awesome, but only if you're a good thrower first. Then if you add that wrinkle of running on top of it, you're unstoppable. That's, that's the thing with, with Kyler right now that has me scared, is he was one of the best throwers of the football last year. Now, if he can figure out how to maintain that, but also still be a runner, which, which is a really difficult thing to, to do both. But anybody that's able to pull that off is going to be lethal. But everybody forgets that. And they're like, oh, just run, just run, just run. It's the same with this, where it's like, oh, man, out of the backfield, backfield. That's great, but you got to be a receiver first, then do the cool stuff. Otherwise, you're just a wide receiver trying to be a running back, which sucks because running backs are better at being running backs than wide receivers are. But I guess we're just going to relive the Ty Montgomery nightmare. I don't know. We'll see. All right, guys, real quick, we've got a uh, special guest. David is on with us. The uh, I guess we're going to call him the Packernet Doctor. 
but he had a few minutes to uh, spare to uh, answer a couple questions, so I figured I'd get him on real quick. But could you do me a favor, first of all, Dave, and uh, let the people know who you are and what you do before we get into it? Sure. Um, I'm, my name is David Braunreiter. I'm a primary care sports medicine physician down in Houston, Texas. I see all sorts of things from regular medical stuff to orthopedic things, and I've been a team physician in the NFL and Major League Soccer combined between the two of them at the 20 years of experience. Well, I guess that'll work. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> well, like I said, when I talked to you, we, we don't have a massive amount of information, but the answer you gave me I thought was pretty interesting. So, um, first of all, the, the only thing that it seems like the only guy that didn't practice today and yesterday is Alan Lazard, and they did list it as an ankle injury, but... With the limited information we have from Lazard as well as the two tackles, what are your thoughts on um, their injuries that they sustained and their timelines and uh, possibly their uh, likelihood of playing this week? Well, you know, with the two tackles, you know, it's it's interesting that neither of them are placed on the PUP list um, or, or released from the PUP list in preseason. So I think that bodes well that if they're not really quite ready to play this weekend, that they – aren't going to be on, on uh, injury reserve. They're not going to be held back from playing for too much longer. It may just be that that's how they do this. You know, they keep things so close to the vest with yeah. what they report to the public, so it's hard to know. But, you know, Bakhtiari's injury was really frustrating for all of us medically and as fans because you would think typically a good year from time that, that he should be well and he had a number of setbacks. But it was very encouraging to see him getting back to working out and they did not reassign him back to an injury list of designation at all. For Lazard, getting stepped on was the story, right? Yep. Um, I don't know if that was – if he stepped on and he twisted his ankle, maybe that's a sprain and that's how they're dealing with it. Um, if it were something more serious, like his foot stepped on and he had a more serious injury like this Frank sprain or fracture – that would have been a something that would have been disclosed pretty much right away in a, a, a very lengthy recovery, whether it's surgery or not. That's, that's possibly even a full season out. So I, I have a feeling that it was not as as big a deal, but enough to tweak him to maybe keep him from participating. I would guess if he didn't participate in practice today, that he's at best doubtful for the weekend and probably wouldn't play. And I probably wouldn't want him to play if he wasn't able to go today. Okay. Um, uh, as far as the tackles, I know it's an impossible question, but I, I got to ask if, if you had to put a percentage on it for the for those two guys, maybe individually, what what are you thinking for them playing this week? Um, I would probably give more credibility to Jenkins, okay, because he did doesn't have he doesn't have the history. He has a history now of coming back pretty quick without any reported real setbacks, where where Bakhtiari did, and that would that's would give would give me some hesitation to say you know, 75, 80% chance, but all signs are pointing up that they're not on the PUP, right? Correct. And um, as far as, I think the other one was Watson, right? Yeah, Christian Watson. I wonder, because we don't know, again, being everything so close to the best, I wonder if there was a um, a minor meniscus injury he just had uh, surgically addressed now just to get it out of the way. That would be my thinking. If he's that ready to start playing again if he had something more than that he'd have been laid up for a while because at that age when you do meniscus repairs or more cartilage surgery like um you can get 
a pothole in the cartilage in the knee and you can do some microfracture procedure, that's a very lengthy recovery. Yeah. And he wouldn't be even close to ready. So probably that's I'm gonna guess that's where that was probably at. So real quick, just on the David Bakhtiari thing, because it, a lot of people are doom and gloom and think that his career might be over. First of all, have you seen anything kind of like this before, and, and how did that go? And also, what is your thought in terms of long-term for Bakhtiari? Do you, are you concerned, or do you think once he's ready, he'll be back to normal? Well, I think it's, I think it's reasonable to have concern about it because, you know, when you, when you see that the average individual with this type of an injury in the professional level – comes back in about a year or so and he couldn't and he had more trouble with more swelling you have to wonder and i'm saying this all really off the cuff blind i don't know but i would i would wonder about the health of the cartilage in his knee and it may be something that just <clears throat> some people can just kind of power through once they go through that setback um it does happen from time to time it's not necessarily a career ender but it might be it could be a career shortener in the right circumstances, his, you know, I don't know. And I would hope for him that that's not the case because that means future knee troubles for him once he's past his playing days, you know, for now, um, you know, again, he's, he's been doing a lot of, a lot of big guy work with moving, moving big bodies around in practices. And if he's um, holding up well, I think that holds up well for him, at least in the short term. Well, Doc, I really appreciate you jumping on with us. I know you're uh, still at work right now and just had a few minutes to get away, but I appreciate you jumping on and kind of giving us some insights on that. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm happy to do this anytime. That was Dr. Brownwriter. So bad at names, man. I think I got that right. Dr. Brownwriter. Uh, didn't mention it on the show here, but spent, uh, I believe, eight years with the Houston Texans. So um, glad that he was able to jump on with us. Look forward to... Uh, well, as I told him, hopefully we don't talk very often because there's no injuries, but looking forward to having him on when need be uh, in the future. Anyways, why don't we take an early break here just so we can kind of come back on the other side and jump immediately into just looking at the Minnesota Vikings and the upcoming matchup. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. If you'd like to support Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry, you can find links to that at the top of the Facebook group as well as the uh, my Twitter account. But let's also not forget pristineauction.com, back with the Packernet podcast. Why? Because they got more stuff to give away. They just have so much stuff, and they're like, I don't know what to do with all this amazing stuff. I know. Let's reach out to the Packernet fan base and see who wants some free stuff. That's what they said. I don't know. That's what they told me they said. I wasn't there at the time, but it was a very descript manuscript that they sent me, uh, fully equipped with quotes and, and the whole nine yards. PristineAuction.com, the most trusted sports memorabilia auction site with triple uh, A-plus better business bureau. Listen, the point is, they got this trophy, man. How awesome is it going to look in your Packers man cave, if you have one, if you don't, whatever, you can put it somewhere, I'm sure. Even Michael Scott was allowed to have a little Dundee shelf. But this thing is a replica Lombardi trophy signed by Jordy Nelson with a sweet Jordy Nelson graphic on it. And it's going to be yours completely free. Maybe if you go to pristineauction.com, click on the button that says register, go to the registration code, put in code FAVRE, F-A-V-R-E to be entered. And that's it. You're done. You're ready to get going. That's all you got to do. Simple as that. It's going to come to you uh, fully packaged and included in that package is a certificate of authenticity that says, this is legit, man. He signed this with his actual 
pen. <laughs> you know, the Jordy pen that everyone loves. In addition, $10 off anything else that you decide to buy there that you win. Any auction that you win, boom, 10 bucks off. All of this is free. All you got to do is go register. Drop in an email, type in Farv, click OK, done, deal. You can find a link to this in the show notes. Click on it, go get it done, man. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So the line hasn't moved. We're still sitting right at uh, 1.5 point favorites for the Green Bay Packers. And um, PFF actually has them as 2.3 point favorites. So PFF's a little bit higher on the Packers than everybody else in the universe, which is great. But I want to start with something that I find kind of interesting because there's a narrative that's been going around that I kind of just accepted. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to look it up because I'm a little thrown off by this. And that is that Kirk Cousins essentially owns the Green Bay Packers. And I'm like, all right, I guess we've had some bad luck against the Vikings. I don't really remember that. You know how I am with remembering stuff. It's like, oh, that's weird. Okay, fair enough. Whatever. I guess the Vikings have been beating us a lot. And I look at it from 2019 on when Matt LaFleur got here. The Packers are 4-2 and two against the Vikings, including the last time we played the Vikings, we won. Well, that doesn't count because Kirk Cousins didn't play. Okay, whatever. <laughs> 
Here's the problem you're going to have, though. The Packers still scored 37 points. So, granted, you only scored 10 because Cousins wasn't there. You still were going to have to overcome nearly 40 points to, uh, you know, to clear that, which is complicated. The other issue with all of these games, going back with the exception of a couple, um, is that it's mostly the Vikings offense that's been kind of a kind of a big deal. I mean, the last time the Packers and Vikings played, the Vikings won. It was 34-31. The offense was fine. The defense could not stop the Minnesota Vikings. The time before that, it was 22-28. to 28 isn't necessarily a blowout, but I'm looking at these scores. The last time they played, um, the Packers won 43-34. to They still scored 34 points. So they're, they're hovering around 30-ish points a game against the Green Bay Packers. The point is, I know there's all this hype about the Vikings offense kind of going off and just blowing up because they got a new coach and everything, even though everything's the exact same, but it's new coach. So now we're going to, instead of scoring 30 points, we're going to score 40 points or whatever magical thing they have in their heads. Cool, but I'm looking at the Packers' defense being much improved because it seems like the Packers have just been kind of spanking, the, or the, the Vikings have been spanking the Packers' defense lately, right? I mean, with Kirk Cousins, 34, 28, 34, those are the last three games anyways, our defense has had a hard time slowing down the Minnesota Vikings. I'm thinking maybe, maybe the Packers' defense performs a little bit better than they did the last time when the score, again, was 34 to 31. Just a couple things to point out. Number one, the corners, Stokes and Razul, no Jair. Now we have Jair back. Number two, the pass rushers were Preston Smith and Tipa Naliai. No Rashawn Gary. Tipa, who is now our like fourth edge rusher, or excuse me, fifth edge rusher. There was no Rashawn in this game. So without question, the two best players on this defense are Jair Alexander and Rashawn Gary, and neither of those guys were playing in that game. I'm thinking in a game that was decided by three points, maybe that would make a difference. And that doesn't even include the additions of guys like Jaron Reed, the additions of guys like Quay Walker, the additions of guys like Devontae Wyatt, second year from Eric Stokes. Eric Stokes, by the way, terrible in that game. He got destroyed. He got cooked. That's all there is to it. Jair probably going to help a little bit. Just saying. Justin Jefferson, two for two, 79 yards and a touchdown against Eric Stokes. He was also two for two for 49 yards against Kevin King, one of one for six yards against Razul Douglas. So Kevin King becomes Razul Douglas, Eric Stokes becomes Jair, and Razul becomes Eric Stokes, I guess. Now, it is week one, and crazy stuff can happen on week one, there's no doubt, but all I'm saying is that moving forward, I don't know that what we've seen over the last several weeks or, or matchups against the Minnesota Vikings of averaging 34 or 30 or so def- my goodness, 30 or so points against the Packers' defense is going to be upheld. Beyond that, I want to look at last year a little bit because, again, a lot is being made of the offense and how great the offense is and how much improved the offense is going to be despite, again, they really not doing anything to improve the offense. The problem that I'm having, though, is that the issue with the Vikings last year wasn't the offense, it was the defense. One of the things I always do when I look at matchups is look at where that line is. Whereas when we score more than this, we win. When they score more than this, we lose, et cetera, et cetera. The line for the offense and the defense was set at about 28 points. That's really high. That is to say, if the offense doesn't score more than 28 points, we probably lose the game. On the offensive side, it was actually 27 points. Defensively, it was about 28 points. 
So that is to say, when the defense held teams to less than 28 points, they won, which is really good for the offense. In other words, the offense is just telling the defense, just hold them to 28 and we got it. They were 7-3 and three when the defense was able to do that. 7-3, and three, one of them was an overtime loss, one of their actual losses. On the offensive side of the ball, the defense says, I need you to score at least 27. So the point is, the offense was always what was winning them games to begin with. 27 points is a lot. And beyond that, you should be allowed to not score 27 points and still succeed. You, you should be able to win some games by 21, 24, 25, whatever. When they didn't get to 27, they were 2-6. and six. The defense had no ability to cover for the team when the offense didn't step up. The only two games they did were the Lions and the Bears. That's it. 1917, they won by two, just barely. And then against the Bears, who were obviously stupid, 17 to nine. But that's it. So again, if the defense isn't improved and the offense is really good, you still need to be. That doesn't mean anything. Even really good offenses are going to struggle to get to 30. So even if you are a really good offense, guess what? You're still going to have a good amount of losses because you have a defense that's going to give up 27, 28 points a game. So you can have a great game, score 25, 27 points, but you give up 30, well, then you lose. They did that six times. Of course, the only win they had was against the Packers. But six times, that's a third of the season, they give up 30 points. I mentioned how 24 points is kind of like the normal number or whatever in, in my mind. Um, you know, it's, it's a nor- less than that is a low number, more than that is, is a relatively high number. Um, the defense gave up more than 24 points, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times in the season. Again, all I'm saying here is that all the bragging about the offense that everybody already knows is good isn't the point. The point is your defense has to be good. Your defense has to find a way to stop teams from scoring 25, 6, 7, 8, 9, 30 points. Minnesota Vikings defense last year ranked 24th in points, 30th in yards allowed, 30th in first downs given up, 28th in passing yards allowed, 22nd in passing touchdowns, 23rd in net yards, uh, 23rd in net yards per attempt passing, 26th in rushing yards, 29th in rushing yards per attempt, almost dead last, 4.7 yards per attempt. Boy, that sucks going against the Packers, doesn't it? It's not a question of whether your offense is talented. It's a question of, is your offense going to be able to do enough against the Packers defense to compensate for the fact that the Vikings defense isn't good enough to stop teams from scoring? From a Vikings perspective, that's the question. Because as much as you can trash the Packers wide receivers, they're going to be able to move the ball. They can throw passes to Alan Lazard if he plays. If not, there's Dobbs, who is apparently uncoverable. Christian Watson, who we haven't seen, but he's got good stride length, whatever that means. Sammy Watkins, who we know has the ability to play in the NFL as a wide receiver. Same with Randall Cobb. The running backs are extremely talented receivers. And with Tunyon back, that's a massive upgrade for the receiving ability of the tight ends not even including the, the different kinds of things we do with Josiah DeGuara. They have the ability to find 50 different ways to utilize the weapons that they have in completely different ways and packages and routes and all these different kinds of things. They'll be able to find a way to move the ball down the field. Unless you've got a really stout defense, which I think we've already established you do not. And again, I, I, I want to give you the benefit of the doubt if there's something to, to give you the benefit of the doubt about, but have you upgraded a single position? I mean, off the edge, you got Zadarius. Maybe that's an upgrade. I don't know. He's probably an upgrade over Everson Griffin, but I mean, he was 
He's 10.7%. It's not the worst. What, what, what's Zedaria's going to be, 11, 12? Okay, it's a little bit of an upgrade. Congratulations, assuming he's healthy. And can I just bring something else up here? I know this is like a new era, and we're, you're talking about Zimmer, and this is a whole new thing. And I, I, The Vikings are very similar to the 49ers, in my opinion, but not quite to the... ...treated this way. Um, and by that, I mean the collective memory of how good this team is does not accurately reflect what this team has been. Um, if you talk about the Minnesota Vikings, they're largely seen as a force that is just nipping at the heels of the Packers. In other words, if the Packers have won 13 games over the last three years, the Vikings have won 11 over the last three years. The Vikings are always average with an occasional, ooh, that was a good year mixed in. You go back to 2016, they were 8-8. Eight and eight. Then 2017, dang, 13-3. and three. Then right back to 8-7-1. and one. Then 10-6. Ten, ten and six. Then 7-9. and nine. Which is astounding considering it's largely been... This is a team that refuses to let go of their guys. Right? They've had the same group of guys since forever. I'm looking at Zimmer and, and, and Spielman and I'm, I'm, I'm saying, guys, you, you gotta let go at some point. You gotta start to you know, backfill a little bit so that when one of these 40-year-old guys that you love leaves, Kendricks and Barr and Harrison Smith and all these guys, Barr finally left. Of course, there's no replacement because the only strategy we have for so many years is don't let him go, don't let him go, don't let him go. My favorite of all time, and I forget the guy's name, but they had Kendricks, they had Barr, and then they had a draft pick who was not bad at all. They let go of the draft pick who was, you know, I don't know, his second year or whatever. We're not paying him. Let him go, because we, we want Kendricks and Barr instead of that guy. That's insane. Even if you like Barr more, so what? Barr's going to be gone in a year or two. Keep the other guy. It's crazy. Anyways, 2020, 7 and 9. 2021, 8 and 9. They're just, they're, they're the most average team ever with an occasional ooh mixed in. Yeah, maybe this is the occasional ooh, I guess. But I don't necessarily buy it. I'm so tempted to go back and look at but I, I think we already did, didn't we? Look at the, the Vikings when they were really good. I know we talked about how they had Daniil Hunter and Everson Griffin along with, why can I never remember the freaking guy's name? Linval Joseph, that's it. You don't have Hunter and Griffin and, and Linval Joseph. You don't have Peak Harrison Smith with uh, Andrew Sandejo, who's a f- fantastic safety next to him. Maybe the corners are comparable, but that's about it. And so... <sighs> They don't have these truly dominant, and, and by the way, they're usually dominant defensive teams. Let me see, verify that that is the case. Um, the last times they were actually good, I guess it was just kind of that one time. Ten wins, eh. Am I sounding snobbish now? <laughs> Ten wins, bleh. So I don't want to do mono and mono matchups today. That's for another time, probably tomorrow. But again, big picture view. Because we want to we want to tear it down and just pretend like this is a brand new football team and we're we're starting from scratch and we're looking at man look at these what look at the quarterback look at the wide receivers look at the running back then you add in the 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 uh, new head coach which is an offensive this that and the, the problem is we've seen this group together before I can't quite place where it was oh I don't know maybe it was last year's Minnesota Vikings football team we've seen it they ranked f- what fourteenth on offense. You know, again, you, you can't just... Let's look at Zach Taylor for an example. Zach Taylor, exact same thing. He was a Rams guy. He went over to the Cincinnati Bengals. The Bengals won six games, and they ranked 17th. Very similar to the Minnesota Vikings last year. 
Eight games in 14th, slightly better. What happened when they brought in a Rams guy, right? They took, uh, who was it? Marvin Lewis with Bill Lazor as the offensive coordinator. That, that was the, the Bengals who ranked 17th on offense in terms of points and won six games. The next year, they go out and they get a Rams guy. Zach Taylor going to modernize this bad boy. They won two games <laughs> and ranked 30th. How is that possible? How do you go from Marv Lewis, this, you know, defensive-minded head coach that's run his course and it's an old-school thing, and then we go out and get the Rams guy and we modernize everything? Automatically, that makes everything better, right? I mean, it's actually very comparable. You got Andy Dalton here, who's, again, not as good, but you got the veteran guy who's always been kind of mediocre, but but you know, better than maybe he gets credit for. It's all very similar. You got the star running back. Granted, Tyler Boyd isn't exactly Justin Jefferson. But again, this is a to a lesser degree, but it's very similar. The point is, though, why didn't the Bengals get better? Why did they get significantly worse? Now, eventually they got better. That's true. They, they got a lot better. They got a new quarterback, which is great. Vikings, maybe that'll be your future. I don't know. Maybe when this doesn't pan out, you go find yourself a new quarterback. I don't know. Case. But the point is, year one didn't just magically fix everything. They had to kind of tear it down and rebuild it and find some new pieces. They got a new quarterback. They built up the offensive line. They got some wide receivers. And over time, it came together. It wasn't in 2019 in his first year. It wasn't in 2020 in his second year when they won four games after winning two games the year before. It was year three that they won 10 games, congratulations, and then went on to make it to the Super Bowl. But again, it took them three years to get to 10 wins, which is marginally better than they were when they fired the last guy. So I need more than that. I need more than we hired a coach. Do we need to talk about the Jets? Robert Sala and Mike LaFleur went over there to take over. Defensive coordinator of the San Francisco 49ers becomes the head coach, takes the passing game coordinator. Mike LaFleur makes him the offensive coordinator, and the team still sucks. Uh, a couple other things I notice, and this is probably true of most teams, but running, rushing yards is important. Now, part of this, so this is where stats get to be a little weird. Part of this probably has to do with the fact that when you're smashing a team, you start running the ball until you rack up a bunch of yards, right? However, um, there definitely seems to be a correlation on both sides of the ball with the Minnesota Vikings between running and winning and losing. First of all, um, 103 yards or more when the Vikings ran for, well, let's put it this way, less than 103 yards, they only won one game, and that was against the Packers. I hate that the Packers are the ones that throw all these things off. Score more than this many points, and uh, you're going to win unless you're the Packers. But legitimately, and I I wish it was a little bit closer to 100, but they ran for 101 and and lost, ran for 100 and lost. It's actually sub-90, and they're winless, but that's probably most teams. But the difference between 103 or more is 7-2, and and one and seven. So if they're getting into that hundred range, it's getting into dangerous territory because they, if they get slightly over a hundred, according to last year, they won the game. Now on the flip side, here's the good news. It's a much higher bar, but they are winless for any team that gets to 150 yards. It's important because the Vikings struggle to stop the run and the Packers are really good at it. Now the question is, are they going to commit to it? 150 or more yards. They are 0 and six. The problem is, as much as we know the um, Packers can be good at it, they only hit that mark three times last year. One of them was against the Vikings, 174 yards. But I do wonder, 
The other thing to bring up is the whole week one thing, because I think Packer fans feel like that's going to affect us, but not the Vikings. Um, the Packers struggle coming out of a bye, we'll call it. In other words, if they didn't play last week, they're going to suck this week. I think we're all kind of traumatized about what happened last year. Uh, a lot of us see the fact that we didn't really play our guys in the preseason as being a big problem, and we did it again, and so now we should be maybe kind of concerned about that. But a couple things. Number one, the Vikings also didn't play their starters. So while the Saints did, um, and maybe that's possibly a contributing factor, the Vikings didn't, so that kind of nullifies. Secondly, the Vikings have a worse record at the beginning of the season than the Packers do. First of all, the Packers did lose week one. They went on to win the next seven games in a row. In 2020, they actually won, and it was the Minnesota Vikings. We beat the Vikings 43-34. to We won our first four games. So the Packers start the season pretty hot, usually, although we did lose. But, you know, you look at the first four games of the season over the last two years, they're 7-1. and one. In 2019, the Packers won the opener. That was against the Bears, so a division rival, two years in a row, and we won both of those games. 2018 against the Bears, we won. 2017 against the Seahawks, we won. 2016 against the Jaguars, we won. That was in Jacksonville, so that's Florida, hot weather, early season, doesn't matter, still beat them. 2015 against the Bears, we won. We won won six in a row to start the season. The last time we lost a season opener, aside from last year, was 2014 against the Seahawks. And by the way, in both instances... We went on to have great seasons. 2014 was a great year. Um, 12 and 4. We ended, it was after our bye week, we came out and let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 and 2. Unfortunately, that 2 was this. What the heck is it with the Packers in that? We lost to the Seahawks to open the season, and the Seahawks are the ones that knocked us out of the playoffs. What is it about us losing early on in the season, and that team that beat us early in the season is the team that knocks us out of the playoffs? What the heck is that? That's so weird. The, uh, the next year, the Cardinals beat us in the playoffs. They beat us 38-8 to in the regular season. 2014, the Seahawks are going back again. 36-16, to that was a blowout. There is an NFC team that blows us out in the regular season. That's the team that's going to beat us in the playoffs. It's unbelievable. If we get blown out by the Vikings, heads up. Although we didn't get beat by the, uh, it wasn't the Saints that knocked us out of the playoffs. But it's such a weird thing. The uh, 2013, week one, we lost to the San Francisco 49ers, 34-28. to Guess who knocked us out of the playoffs? Dude, this is freaking weird. 2012, week one, we lost to the 49ers, 30-22. to Guess who knocked us out of the playoffs? 2011 was the Giants. We didn't, I mean, we only lost to the Chiefs that year. So did this maybe like start in 2011 or something? It's some weird freaking curse. And you know who started this is the 49ers. So I hate them. I hate them. I hate them. 2012 49ers. 2013 49ers. 2014 Seahawks. 2015 Cardinals. Dude. 2016 Falcons. Now that was a close game. It was 33 to 32, but still we lost to the Falcons and they knocked us out of the playoffs. 2017 we missed the playoffs, which is fortunate because, um, you know, we, we ended up losing to the Vikings. So <laughs> that could have been very well been the team that knocked us out of the playoffs, but we didn't go that year. Let's see, 2018, we didn't go that year. And then uh, 2019, San Francisco 49ers beat us 37-8. to Guess who knocked us out of the playoffs? The 49ers again. In 2020, Tampa Bay beat us 38-10. to They're the ones that knocked us out of the playoffs. 
2021 is the first year, I think since 2012, that we got knocked out of the playoffs by a team that did not beat us in the regular season. We beat the 49ers 30-28. to I don't know what happened, but we were not supposed to win that game. Maybe, maybe we beat the curse, which I don't know exactly how that works. And so now it's a, now it's a team that, that we beat beats us in the playoffs. I don't know, but maybe this kind of reversed the juju. Now all we need is for Trey Lance to be complete garbage. And I think that completes the full cycle and we win the Super Bowl this year. I'm not positive, but I think we broke it. I mean, somebody had to beat us in the playoffs so that we can prove that we beat the curse, right? I mean, I suppose it could have been a thing where, you know, we play the Saints and then beat them and that would have beat the curse, but it has to be the 49ers. So it was the 49ers that knocked us out, but we beat them in the regular season. Boom, curse is broken. I don't know, man. Maybe the Saints broke it. Maybe the Saints broke this whole thing because it was absolutely supposed to be the Saints that uh, played us and beat us in the in the postseason. The only other option would have been the Vikings or the Lions and neither, neither of those teams went to the... Uh, playoffs fortunately that is it am i wrong is that the weirdest freaking thing ever that is the weirdest thing in the world i'm gonna be terrified if we lose to the vikings because i'm just gonna be thinking if they they go to the playoffs i know what's gonna happen 2012 through 2020 every single year a team that beats us in the regular season knocks us out of the playoffs and it's usually a team that ends up blowing us out and if we get blown out week one that's the team that knocks us out again that didn't happen in 2021 but so weird Anyways, getting back to what I was talking about, the Packers actually do really well to start the season, except for 2021, which is a recurring theme here, except for 2021. The Vikings, however, do not. Again, I fully acknowledge for the billionth time, new coach, new culture, new whole shebang. But last year, not only did they lose week one, as did the Packers, they lost week one to the Cincinnati Bengals, 24-27. They lost to the Cardinals the next week. They went one and three to start the season. The only team they beat was the Seattle Seahawks. They lost to the Bengals, the Cardinals, and the Browns. But that's not all. In 2020, they started the season 0-3. Then they beat the Texans and lost the next two. So they started the season 1-5, but they lost the opener to the Packers. They lost to the Colts. They lost to the Titans. Beat the Texans. Lost to the Seahawks. Lost to the Falcons. It's a heck of a slow start. They ended up almost 500. They were 7-9 with that bad of a start. So they obviously get better as the season goes on, but they didn't start super strong. 2019, they did win their opener against the Falcons, but the very next week against the Packers, Packers beat them. So three years in a row, the uh, the Vikings have lost their opener. Packers, again, quite good to start the season, which also flies in the face of the hole where the Packers don't really start their starters, and that's the problem. It's never been a problem, right? Aaron Rodgers not taking a snap in the preseason since who knows when, 2017 or whatever, has not really affected the team negatively, like at all. It just happened one time, and all the people that have been saying it for 20 years and have been wrong suddenly think that they're right. It's just not the way that it goes. And again, if we lose this game, you can't even really use that anymore because the Vikings didn't start their starters either. So listen, again, I I can't promise you anything, but the Packers are the better team, the more experienced team. They're better early in the season. The matchup between a solid running team and a team that can't stop the run, a team that depends on offense overcoming the defense's failures having to try to put up off you know offensive production against one of the tougher defenses in football theoretically i just don't see how with the information we have available you can pick the vikings to beat the packers what is it other than man they're going to be so good because guess what that's what everybody said maybe not quite as many people but it's the same thing we're saying about the packers defense this vikings offense is going to be special 
Okay, well, Packers defense can be special on paper, theoretically. So now what? Cancels each other out. What else do you have other than your struggling defense? Not a whole lot. Inexperience, you got that going for you. So this is a better Packers team on the road with uncertainty at an even higher level because it's week one. But it's not a question in my mind who the better team is. It's just not. Anyways, we'll leave it at that. That's all I got to say. You guys have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.